When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Love Tennis Podcast. I'm George Belshaw from Metro.co.uk. It's been a busy old week. Lots of tennis news again. Probably not as much as last week, to be fair. Probably a little bit quieter. Um, hello, Calvin. Evening. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not too bad. And here's James. Hello, James. Testing one, two. Hi. I was just saying it's been a semi-busy week, probably not as busy as last week, but still some pretty major news in the tennis well, world this week. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this earlier, and given that all tennis players have been, well, half of them have been locked in their rooms, the other half have been locked mostly in hotels and on practice courts. Given that, there's been quite a lot happening. But I think if you asked any sports fan, you know, casual sports fan, I think the majority of them would say nothing has happened in tennis this week. There's been an awful lot of flapping and not a lot of actual progress, I would suggest. But um, we'll get into that. I suppose that the major news that, that broke um, between our last podcast and this one is Andy Murray going out of the Australian Open. That was a badly timed email because I was in the middle of a workout. So that was uh, ideal. <laughs> um, I had to, what were you uh, doing? Abandon my bums and tums for the day and uh, crack on with some work. Um, yes, he, of course, we, as we reported last week, he contracted coronavirus. He'd been self-isolating and, and working with Craig Tiley and Tennis Australia to try and find a way to, to quarantine satisfactorily. Um, and we understand that, that they were very helpful and, and, you know, have pretty much been trying to pull out all the stops. But in the end, Team Murray had to kind of give up the ghost, George, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, the the major issue really came that they were struggling to get any exemptions around um, him being able to practice during the quarantine. So it was going to be a, a proper quarantine like the 72 players. Um, and obviously, from the time he was going to be arriving, that would have left no time to get out on the practice court before the tournament mm. actually started. So, it, as he called it, an unworkable quarantine. Um 
you know, it, it, it was fairly inevitable this was going to happen once he tested positive. I suppose the major positive is that he's not pulling out for any serious reason for his body. Um, but it's a bit of a blow, isn't it? I mean, it, it, the guy can't catch a break at the moment. No, exactly. And, you know, the Australian Open somewhere he has, the Australian somewhere he has such history. You know, he's, he's been a finalist there five times off the top of my head, four against Djokovic, yeah. Um, and, you know, he's obviously got a huge affinity for, for that tournament. And, you know, he, 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 has, he has a lot of history there in a non-playing sense as well, because, of course, he retired. Um, although he says he didn't retire, but I'm, I'm just convinced that he did retire and then re- reneged on that. Whereas he, he claims that he didn't fully retire. No, Andy, you did. But anyway, you know. I was there. He definitely retired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> he can't claim that he didn't, although he loves to. Uh, it's the Manny Pacquiao of tennis. Um, yeah, and you know, it's always such a target because of where it falls in the calendar and because of what he's been through. And of course, he had surgery um, in Australia at least once. Um, I'm trying to think. His second one was over here, wasn't it? So, um, you know, it's obviously kind of emotionally quite a a big tournament for him. And and the third point, I said this last week as well, it could have been his last chance to play it. You know, you just don't know um, with where he is in terms of injury at the moment. So, yeah, it's it's obviously a real blow. Um, It was quite interesting, though, George, you you then did some quite good uh, journalism, if I can just say something I don't like saying, um, and spoke to to Matt Little... Who is? Yes, it's been a rare good week on that front, hasn't it? Yeah, rare, yeah a rare good week. You might have even worked three days. Um, <laughs> Matt Little, I'm right in saying that he's he's Andy's long-term fitness coach. Strength and conditioning is the task. Oh, what he prefers. does that mean, Calvin? What does that mean? What's the difference between a strength and conditioning coach and fitness? Uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> One sounds fancier. Yeah, people from I always call them fitness coaches that's what i've always called them but it's it's literally the the same thing um i i don't separate them anyway in my mind i don't know anyone else who does um, <laughs> yeah yeah well, well either way he's a man in good shape and he's man responsible for getting andy murray into decent shape and um said some interesting things kind of around what we were talking about last week and crucially he disagrees with calvin so i already like him <laughs> and, uh, he, he, I think what's what was quite interesting. I mean, he sort of uh, quite a nice line about these sports stars are like like a sports car, and they seize up if you don't lose them. But I thought the specific point he made about shoulders and serving, and that going very quickly, even when players have been at home for a week. Do you buy that, Calvin? That that the serve would be the thing that suffers the most. Um. From a fitness point of view, or just not playing, like I think from just cause put, an injury, or I think his point was that the serve puts the shoulder through quite a specific, repeated, explosive action, and that I think what he said was I'd expect a lot of sore shoulders. So just not having your shoulder kind of in that range of motion, and maybe not having quite the same flexibility, is that reasonable? Yeah, the serve, you have to sort of be careful on how many serves you hit, that kind of thing. And I know that Matt himself, I, I don't know Matt extremely well, I know him a little bit, and he's quite mm. big on, on sort of periodising the the number of serves that players hit in practice, specifically with Andy and that kind of thing. He keeps a record of how many serves he's hit in practice, that kind of thing. So he's quite big on that. Um, I would say even sort of not even a fitness sort of 
even not from the fitness side of things, the serve is the 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 shot that is most likely to to drift out of form the more that you don't do it, um, or the mm. longer that you don't do it. So yeah, I'd, I'd I'd probably agree with him on on that side of things. And from a fitness element, he's much more of an expert on that than I am. So I would <laughs> I would heed to his advice on it for sure. Uh, George, I mean, I know that you you will have cut away a lot of what he said as well as written it, even though it is about fifteen hundred words long. Um, <laughs> That's brevity short is me. the soul of brevity is the soul of wit, George. Remember that. Um, <laughs> I was too complimentary about your writing earlier. I feel I had to get it back. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. Was there much on the cutting room floor that you would have liked to include? Um, because people can go and read the stuff you've already written. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was. Um, I'd say there was a, some kind of longer stuff about how young people would find it easier to recover than old. That was perhaps, you know, quite straightforward. But there was mm-hmm. a bit more kind of technical stuff into that that was quite interesting, which I can't remember to recite to you off the top of my head. But you know, <laughs> got into it a little bit, and that was quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it was a good. <clears throat> it was one of those pieces that was quite well timed in terms of at that stage we didn't know he was going and um yeah. uh, matt's matt's a very nice guy and is, is happy to offer his time but it, it's typically under the clause it, it can't be about direct directly about andy um yeah. that's kind of the, the trade-off so you know when i pit, uh, gave him a call earlier in the week i said i'd like to do this piece about quarantine and you know not about murray but of course it was so relevant to murray um, yeah. because of the news that was going to follow and all the issues that came with it. And, you know, we we did speak about Andy off the record a little bit, which I, which I won't share here. But, you know, it was, it, it was clear that he felt it was such a big issue for all of these players. I think the term that we kind of led on was that he was calling it dangerous. Um, and there was this, this idea about all these explosive movements that are so hard to replicate. Um without being on a match court and the way he kept hammering it through to me was like you know when you practice and when you train all you're ever doing is coming as close as possible to match conditions so when you play a practice set you know you're replicating it to the best of your ability but it's nothing compared to the actual thing with the adrenaline going through and you know all the extra stress a crowd or whatever um it actually meaning something it's impossible to replicate that stress so by you're almost taking away three layers of stress from this sort of thing. Like you, you can't get Mm -hmm. to the next best level of stress. And then you're about to jump into what he described as like the most stressful times. Yeah. So yeah, I I thought it was a really, I, you know, it was one of those things I'm sat there listening to him and thinking, wow, this is really interesting. I'm glad Mm. that kind of translated. Um, It was, it was a good piece. I say so myself. (laughs) Unbelievable. I can't believe you actually said that. Um, I I suppose it's always difficult, isn't it? You know, with, with elite sport because it, it can be hard for you know the layman for want of a better word to, to understand the stresses that go through the body that are kind of extraneous to just the running around the tennis court and hitting a tennis ball you know and, and that does I think play into how athletes cope with certain situations I, I want to pick you up on like replicating you know trying to replicate match circumstances you know, I've seen certainly with Eddie Jones and, and the England rugby team, they've done some pretty innovative stuff when it comes to trying to replicate those things. You know, with um, I don't know if you've ever seen them practice catching high balls, 
but it usually involves uh, a coach running around with those like foam noodles that you use in swimming pools on holiday and just whacking players with them to try and simulate going through that contact. Calvin, I don't know if you're, <laughs> you're a fan of the weird and wacky coaching. I don't know if you've ever like started shouting at people during points to try and replicate being at Flushing Meadows or something. Um, I once saw a coaching sort of idea. I read it in a book about ideas of trying to distract players while they were playing and there was all sorts of nonsense going on like sort of having a load of players stand at the side of the court and and whack balls sort of laterally across the court as two players are playing a point and that kind of thing it, it, it sort of I'm not sure really how, how much that would replicate um that sort of thing I mean there, there is certain things like where you can replicate pressure and that kind of thing that that's a sort of Interesting and that's something that you try to, you try to do then in, in training. Yeah, for sure, training. yeah. Yeah, we, we've we done sort of quite a bit of work on, well, I say we, I and um, a couple of coaches who I know sort of a few years ago looked quite a bit into pressure training um, and how you can sort of replicate, just like, like it says, like replicate the pressure of a match and replicate mm. those situations. And there are ways of doing that. There is a sort of a bit of research behind it and that kind of thing. So, um yeah, it, and is it, it as simple it, as putting something on the line? Is that is that is that? Better? I mean, that thing um, would be make it matter. So the ways that we've done it would be, um, and this is not my work. It, it's um, the sort of research was done by a guy who mentored me, a, a gentleman, a coach called Paul Dent, um, and the, it was basically he separated it into two ways of pressure training and pressure testing, whereby pressure training you would you would sort of have a consequence and a reward. So, for example, it could be that you have to, the consequence could be that a player doesn't get their phone, that they lose their phone for two days if they don't wow. complete the task. And the reward might be uh, 20 quid, uh, that type of thing. So it goes both ways. And you'd have both on at the same time. Um, okay, and yeah. Pressure training would be, you would set the task, whatever the task might be. It might be to, say, play a tie break, and you have to make 60% first serves, that kind of thing. Or, um, and if they do that, then they get 20 quid. If they don't do that, they don't get the 20 quid and they lose their phone for a couple of days. Uh, and the training would be the coach can help them through it. And the testing would be if there's no help from the coach, they just do it by themselves. Uh, I'm interested to see how this sort of stuff kind of um, develops going forward. I've heard stuff about like, boxers being hypnotized for example like to try and like that's apparently quite common in boxing yeah. um for like hypnotherapy but i was just wondering if there's like a a virtual reality thing that could perhaps come in in the future where they're almost like convinced in their mindset but still playing t- i don't know but it, it could be quite an interesting area of sports science to kind of develop you just reminded me actually of that there was and i remember this specifically this was back in and this is going to show my age a little bit and and sort of shows how some coaches are desperately nutty um, there was a coach years ago. I, I did computer science uh, A level, and there was a coach um, who, in 1996, asked me if it would be possible for me to sort of create a hologram on the court that a player could sort of almost climb inside the hologram and show them how to hit a forehand. And he said he thought it was possible, and that was uh, 25 years ago. Now, wow. and where's we're still some way off that. So, um, <laughs> that, that. That's some of the weird and wonderful things that some coaches come up with. Well, I have seen, um, like, 
almost like robot kind of superstructures that you can wear. You know, that I saw them basically to make you run quickly. Um, they were kind of putting them in police forces to basically put give you like supersonic legs, basically. So right, you could, okay. you, could, you could kind of naturally extend that to something that like superstructures over your arms and kind of, you know, moves your elbow up a bit at this point and snaps your wrist a bit earlier in the, the motion. You can kind of see... I, I think the stuff that's really interesting is is the stuff with, like, peripheral vision. Um, I know football, some of the coaches, and yeah. I did a bit of work with the guy who... His name escapes me at the moment. Alan Russell is his name, and he's the England striker coach, and he does a lot of stuff with vision and, like, colour yeah. co- dots and things, and you've got to run to different... And Wayne Rooney apparently has incredible peripheral vision. Like he, uh, maybe it's just because the eyes are quite inside of his head. I don't know, um, <laughs> but he apparently can just see things from all angles, and it makes a massive difference to your sporting ability. Obviously, particularly in football, um, and less applicable to tennis. But uh, yeah, interesting anyway, and good to have uh, your input, Calvin, and also that of Matt Little via George. Um, I want to move on and kind of stick with British tennis a little bit, George, because I know we had some quite big news um, from Laura Robson uh, this week, who is obviously a name that I think people who don't watch or follow a huge amount of tennis will remember, but not necessarily associate with recent success. You know, I think quite a lot of people watched her win the, the Wimbledon girls title, which I think is about a decade ago now. And longer, you know, I think. I think it is longer, isn't it? Yeah. 13 years in the library top. Um, and I think a lot of people were hoping that she might be, you know, a decent female British player, which, you know, we're always absolutely desperate for. Someone can go and win titles. And it's never really happened. And, and then some more bad news this week, George. Yeah, so um, third round of hip surgery for Laura. Um, she She was quite quick to... I mean, in her statement, she originally kind of said, oh, I don't know what this means for my tennis. But when but I saw her reply to one of my esteemed colleagues, Simon Briggs, telling him that she did not, in fact, end her career. <laughs> um, so so perhaps it, it, it's too soon to say she's completely done, or at least on something that's going to be recorded and put in a public sphere. But um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, Laura's a really interesting player, obviously, because while there was that junior Wimbledon title, there was actually a period of great success um, as a senior player. You know, she was top 30, I think, uh, fourth round of the US Open. She beat some huge names that year. I think Kleisters was one of them, who I can remember off the top of my head. Um, you know, Laura was, while Joe has become the best British female player of the last 10 years, Laura was the best talent by some way. And I'm sure Calvin can kind of, confirm that and the, the latest one who's coming through now is Raducanu who's you know the tal- most talented of this generation but of her generation Laura was the most talented she had the most natural ball striking ability and it seemed early on she had the mentality to be there and she's obviously been rocked over and over again by injury and you, it's hard to downplay the impact injuries have had on her career you know three hip surgeries is a lot for anyone but you know, there's, there's been questions how her man- mentality has been the last few years. And while this news, people have started saying it's the end of her career. I, I don't think anyone seriously believed probably for three years, four years that Laura was going to be back anywhere near the level she was when she was an 18 year old. Mm. Yeah. Just to, to kind of fill out the stats on that, George, she's twice beaten the world number one player at the time. You know, she beat Kim Kleister's the U S open. She beat Venus Williams. 
in Rome. So, you know, she did hit some pretty big highs. Calvin, you would have seen her kind of probably play all the way through one way or another. And, you know, she certainly was the most talented of that generation, wasn't she? Yeah, the first time I saw Laura was in, because I was in Denmark in 2007, in the autumn, winter of 2007. Uh, I was at an ITF uh, with a couple of lads I was working with, uh, and she was there, and she was only 14 and um she was it was noticeable that she had a phenomenal ball strike she didn't she'd not been around britain a great deal at that age because i think uh, maybe they were living in australia at the time and i think yeah. she'd just moved back to um europe but yeah phenomenal ball strike and i don't know whether it was the what year did she win junior wimbledon was it 08 or 09 uh i think it was 08 but i also yeah, so, yeah it was 08 yeah yeah so she basically that was in that would have been in the uh, October of 2007 that I saw that was at a grade 4 ITF and I don't think she won it I think she maybe lost in the quarters or something so then mm. to sort of go from that to winning junior Wimbledon in about nine months uh, showed that level of improvement and yeah she was a fantastic ball striker that was always noticeable she had um, I say had she, as she pointed out her career's not uh, over yet so she but in in her sort of when she was in her prime she was a great ball striker she struggled a bit with movement um and her serve deserted her she had some real troubles with um second serves that kind of thing um as as her career progressed and then the injuries came in obviously mm. yeah i mean it's funny enough i, I remember really vivid, you know there's just certain summers of sport you remember really vividly funnily enough 2008 kind of was one i just remember watching a lot of sport and i really specifically remember laura winning junior wimbledon because let's face it there weren't that many i wasn't used to british people winning anything at tennis um because you know tim henman didn't win at tennis that i ever saw um so uh you know i do remember her hitting, hitting a very big ball but even then thinking that she didn't move that well you know, and it kind of looked a little bit awkward at times, but it didn't really matter because she smashed the crap out of it. Um, and yeah, I look, we wish Laura well. Hip surgery is one of those things, as we well know, through Andy Murray and, and through Leighton Hewitt and Bob Bryan and the rest of them. It's it's a big thing to undergo. I think this is her third hip surgery, am I right? Um, you know, it, it's clearly a serious problem and she's only 27 which has two sides to it. One, she's only 27, she's had hip surgery three times, but also there is time to come back. And clearly, as you mentioned, George, in a Twitter spat with Briggsy, she, she, she's very... Is spat, is spat a bit strong? I think spat implies it went back and forth, I would say. So okay. maybe right. Twitter dig, I would call it. A Twitter dig, very good. You can tell you're a tabloid <laughs> journalist. Um, <laughs> you know, she's clearly absolutely determined to, to fight back and... You know, time is on her side to, to a greater extent. So best of luck, Laura. Um, and yeah, it would be great to see her back. And, and, you know, maybe it is one of those things where she only gets one more dance, you know, one more six-month run where you stay fit enough to, to make it the odd run or the odd big win. But even just one would be great. Um, let's go back to Australia uh, because Novak Djokovic had a busy week. I mean, when does Novak Djokovic not have a busy week? I've seen a lot of pictures of him topless on a hotel balcony. Um, which is a bit much for me. Um, but he's, he's really bought into the fact that there's a local radio station opposite the hotel he's staying in in Adelaide, and they put a big sign on the side of the, the station office saying, you know, to all the players staying in that hotel, if you're bored, give us a call. 
and sure enough, Djokovic gave them a call. And you know, it wasn't the most interesting interview in the world, but it was. You know, it's midday talk radio is never that interesting. Believe me, I used to present it. Um, so uh, yeah, it was nice to see him kind of interacting, and I think probably without being too cynical about it, in search of a bit of good PR because Georgie, well. This is maybe the, the conversation to have. Was it fair or unfair the way he was treated? Lay it out for us. Yeah, so I mean, obviously he's he's had this email discussion with Craig Tiley, which became public knowledge. Um, was obviously taken by the Australian media at full flow and presented to the politicians who were describing it as Novak's demands and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've not seen the exact emails. So I can't tell you for sure if they were demands or brainstorms, as Djokovic put it, or suggestions, as Tylee put it. Um, so some of the things, though, uh, as I've said this in pieces about it, were pretty reasonable. A couple of the things were, you know, never going to happen and kind of far-fetched. But to be fair to Novak, he, he was at least feigning to try for other players, which we don't know or... You know, as far as I'm aware, no other big star did do. Um, so, so that's that's one side of the case. I think Rafa, Rafa hinted that he, well, Rafa sort of vaguely intimated that he might have been doing some lobbying, but also kind of quite bitterly suggested <laughs> that he didn't need it to go public, which I think is unfair because I think if if if, if Novak's email was leaked by anyone, it was leaked by Tennis Australia. I was say, yeah, than, it's, uh, it certainly wasn't leaked by Novak. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, and 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 had it been, and I suppose this is the question I'm just I thought would be quite interesting to discuss in terms of the the general look at Novak. Had it been Rafa putting out this email, would it have been handled as it was? Possibly not. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm reticent to say he gets a bad rap all the time because I think he does some idiotic stuff, but I don't necessarily think unless you're taking it down to some sort of inception level where this was just him again, really trying to prove himself as head of professional tennis players association, which is probably a bit of a factor at the end of the day, he is trying at least to lobby for people. And, you know, I thought his statement was a bit long winded and over the top and whatever, but I did have a a degree of sympathy more than I normally do with him. Uh, look, I'll try and be as generous to Novak Djokovic as I can because I know that on occasion I haven't been. And I, I said it last week and I said some of the demands, demands whatever, I'm just going to use the word demand because it's easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to like subliminally message that I think he was wrong. Um, some of them are more than reasonable. Yeah, better food, sure. Some and and have been carried through some of them, of course, it's yeah. worth saying as well with the training equipment. But I think the, the crucial thing is that Djokovic has always tried to up representation for players. Now, sometimes the specific issues have not been very welcome. You know, when he, he supposedly threatened to strike at the Australian Open a couple of years ago over prize money. You know, that's never a good look when a bloke who's made more than $100 million out of tennis stands up and says we don't get paid enough. And a bloke who doesn't believe in equal prize money for men and women stands up and says we men don't get paid enough. That's always going to be a bad look. But I don't think, and again, I'm trying to be as generous as I can, I don't think it's always just what he thinks. I do think he genuinely represents a chunk of tennis players who think the same way that he does. Now, they're probably not brave enough 
to come out and say a lot of the things they, he says, because frankly, most of them have a much more precarious existence. And, you know, putting your head above the parapet, Djokovic can afford to put his head above the parapet, because as I say, he's, I think his lifetime earnings are $120 million, plus the entirety of Serbia sponsoring him, plus his donkey cheese restaurant. You know, he's got an empire. It doesn't matter, George, you look really puzzled by the donkey cheese thing. Are you not aware of this? You're not aware. My internet just cut out, and I saw I saw I saw you moving around a lot, and I couldn't hear what you were saying. <laughs> oh, fine. That's okay. Well, other people may not know that Novak Djokovic owns the or owns what was when. Oh, I did know about this. Though, yeah. World's only donkey cheese restaurant. It's a Serbian delicacy. I'm told. Um, anyway, so Djokovic can say these things because he's got a platform and has a position to do so. Conversely, he doesn't always say it in the right way, and what he says is sometimes controversial. And I don't doubt that a lot of them are also his views. And we kind of deserve to object to them as well. Uh, in this case, yeah, it's a pretty febrile atmosphere. And I think he's been stitched up by whoever leaked the emails. <laughs> <laughs> like, Such a bizarre leak as well, by the way. Can I just say this? Like, I, I, I don't know, you know, Punto de Break, I've heard... Punto you Break know, was the website, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I've, I've met journalists from there before, um, and all very nice Spanish. guys. It is a Spanish kind of tennis website, but what, what I might be wrong, but I've never seen one of them in Australia or anything like that. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they stick pretty close to Europe, and I don't know if there's a big Spanish contingent. Yeah. Maybe it was Nadal who leaked it. I mean, that would be a funny twist, wouldn't it? Just to then put that dig out <laughs> a few weeks later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm fully on board with that. That would be excellent. Um, Calvin, do you, do you think Djokovic has had it had it a bit rough? I mean, you're not often generous to him. Uh, no. It <laughs> <laughs> happens too often. These are not one-off situations. It happens too often, and he has these nutty ideas, and he's dangerous at times. And phenomenal tennis player. I've made it clear he's a phenomenal tennis player. I think he might be the. He's definitely the best match player of all time. He might be the best tennis player of all time. Um, but um, yeah, he's, he's just nuts. Mm. There's no way around it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and I have seen too much of his chest this week. Um, you know, which be, he's lovely. He's very hairy, but uh, I just don't need it because what this is one of those things where, as a journalist, you see lots of pictures you don't want to see because we get them through on our internal system on a wire, and they just flood in. So, for example, and this is when I used to work at a tabloid newspaper when. Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry got papped on a beach naked. I saw much, much more of Orlando Bloom's penis than I ever needed to see. <laughs> because they come they come through the wire uncensored and then you have to censor them before you publish them. So yeah, that was um it's a little insight onto the glamorous life of being a tabloid news I, I was just I was always just wondering the other day actually if if sort of this business with uh, you know, when you get now situations like with, with Margaret Court where she's clearly a bit nuts. Um, and, and whether like you know she was like that at the time and whether and I'm not for one second suggesting that Novak Djokovic is, is homophobic or anything like that but um, th- does these sort of signs of nuttiness uh, can we expect more of this in, later in, on in 40 years time Novak Djokovic might be some sort of outcast um, well, y- yeah because like, <laughs> I, I don't think he'll sort of retire and then sort of become quite normal in his views so, uh, yeah, I, I sort of assume that he, I can see him, you know, looking into my crystal globe, being like the Kerry Packer of tennis. 
and you know starting yeah. a, a breakaway tour and you know really getting him and Patrick Muratoglu kind of starting some tournament <laughs> in Kazakhstan. Oh um, God! I, I probably I probably shouldn't slag off Patrick Muratoglu given I've got an interview with him next week. But you know um, he, he, he's an innovator. I'll give him that. He's an innovator for tennis, and they're both. And, and a good interview, actually, Patrick. He'll give you a lot of time and chat about things. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, he's decided that the time he's going to give me is Saturday morning, which I'm delighted about, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, that's, you know, he's a much busier man than I am. Um, <laughs> I mean, which is true of almost anyone at the moment, given that, you know, I haven't left my mum's sewing room for about six weeks. Um, let's, let, let's move on before I start moaning about my life again. Uh, George, I know you've got some strong views on Daria Yastremska. Uh, who was pictured uh, on a plane to Australia two weeks or maybe a week ago. Um, I can't remember whose Instagram it was on now. Was it Kuznetsova? Yeah. Um, <coughs> and it was a surprising picture for a number of levels. Firstly, she wasn't wearing a mask. Um, and, and B, she was on a plane, which was strange because um, she, she, she was banned from tennis for doping. So, George, why was she on the plane? Well... She was provisionally suspended um, right. for an anabolic steroid being found in her system, uh, which I, we went over the other week. Um, we but she is basically going down the contamination route of defence, as always, and, oh, yeah. um, and was also saying that the anabolic steroid she wouldn't have taken because it would only help men. Um, now I, I don't yes. really know how that stands up, but that, that's what she's saying anyway. Um yeah, she. So this has obviously caused a bit of a ruckus this week because obviously when I saw that picture and put it on social media, which then caused a lot of people to kick off about it, it was pretty unlikely she was going to get this overturned. Um, so there's a few levels of how they can overturn this sort of thing. Um, and she obviously just had this initial appeal to the ITF essentially. Um, yeah. And they've said, go away because obviously they're going to say that, but it, it can go up to uh, CAS beyond that, uh, the court of arbitration. Court of arbitration That's what. Um, um, usually, I mean, in my quite lengthy experience at this point of CAS is you go all the way to CAS and they reduce the penalty and say you didn't cheat. That's usually what happens is they say, because it's strict liability, judge testing rights, use a legal term, it's like speeding. You, you, can't, you can't say that you didn't speed, that you did, and there's no excuse for it in court. You can say that the camera didn't work or whatever, but it's strict liability. You did it. If you did it, there's no excuse. There's no mitigation. Um, and usually what happens if you get to Cass, you know, Sharapova is a great example. Um, she went, I think she initially got a two-year ban, um, and Cass reduced it to 15 months and said in their closing statement, this is not a case of a player cheating, uh, which is clever because it keeps Cass in business because everyone knows they get what they want. The tennis authorities get a player banned. The tennis player gets something of a kind of exoneration for their, their crimes or alleged crimes. And everyone kind of pays the lawyer's fees and goes away happy. Um, I actually have a bit of a problem with Cass because of that, because it, it always happens that way. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's amazing. And it means that um, administration of sport, you know, there's enough drugs cheats in sport that it's hard to do. And uh, I think Cass hold it up, to be honest, Callum. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the classic example was the Man City um, Champions League thing, wasn't it? Where they basically said that they were guilty 100% and uh, 
completely exonerated them at the same time and said they weren't banned whatsoever. Uh, yeah. And all they had to do was, was pay a huge fine, which was huge, sounded huge <coughs> normal money, but wasn't to Manchester City. And, and that summed it up. And everyone knows that. Uh, everyone, even in sport, uh, not so much in tennis, but I know people from other sport, they know that, that Cass will always let the players off. Yeah, um, yeah. So, it's, it's, it's really it's really frustrating, um, and and you know uh, to, to to come on the other side of this Yastrzemski thing, George. I know you you were pretty pretty disgusted, and and uh, you know initially I was actually right there with you and said, yeah, of course it's insane. But then when you think about it from the perspective of the tennis authorities, and I know that this has happened in Britain with the British Boxing Board of Control, where they've basically not been able to properly pursue a case because they can't afford to lose. So when that when Tyson Fury and Huey Fury were banned by the British Boxing Board of Control, they then countersued, um, and they they had this case that they had some contaminated wild boar, whatever, make of it what you will. The BBFC could not afford, and the UK Anti Doping Commission could not afford to get sued by them because it would have bankrupted them. And basically, there isn't enough money in the anti doping segment of the sport. So with Daria Yastremska. They had to put her on the plane to take her to Australia because if the appeal got overturned, she and and she, and she hadn't got on the plane, she couldn't have quarantined in time to play tennis. She could have said, "Oh, I might have won the Australian Open, so I'm suing you for my Australian Open winnings or whatever the court decided was a reasonable expectation of her earnings." I I think my uh, my main annoyance with it was that this particular appeal could have happened before she went on the flight like there was no reason right. for it to be delayed this far um it's not like there was a set window like everything just moved pretty slowly but um th- that aside like now i just would like tennis australia to make her pay for her contribution to go there um i think that's a fair <laughs> trade-off because she shouldn't have gone in the first place they i mean they shouldn't have flown in but yeah what what you're saying is kind of true, but she should pay for it. Um, and I just find the whole thing just more than anything. I, I wouldn't say I'm overly bothered and crying myself to sleep about it, but I just find it quite amusing now that she's travelled all the way across the world and she's physically not allowed on site at the Australian Open full stop. She's not allowed on it now because you're not allowed to go anywhere near proper competition when you're banned. So it, I just think, you know, more than disgusting, I just think the whole situation is a complete and utter farce that could have easily been avoided by this appeal happening you know a week ago yeah well she's uh, presumably she now has to quarantine in australia for no reason as well well yeah well she was on that she was on the flight the hard um one of the flights that got a positive test yeah um and probably was a reason why there was a uh, <laughs> a hard uh, quarantine for everyone <laughs> on that flight <laughs> for the manner in which she was wearing a mask. And cause that's so she wasn't. now has to sit in a hotel room for two weeks waiting to get on a plane to go back to Kazakhstan, is she Kazakhstan, Kazakh? But I don't actually know where she's Ukraine, going. but Ukraine. I, don't, I don't think she's been, so... Yeah, um, yeah so what, what a fun couple of weeks, but then, you know, she also did dope, so... Not great. Accidentally, she said... <laughs> Um, but the love tennis lawyer is just panicking in the corner. Um, <laughs> someone, someone who isn't doping, uh, no suggestion that she is at all, and who is locked in a hotel room, but at least has something to look forward to, um, is Heather Watson. Someone else that you've been at, well, I, I don't know, am I allowed to say that you ghosted her column, George, or did she definitely write it herself? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I did ghost it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, okay. I, I'm not one of these people who likes to write it in the copy that I did it. I just like, I okay. like people to 
you know, think they did Appreciate it. Appreciate the um, hard work no. you did. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I, I, she was in really good form, actually, Heather. I mean, I, it's, always, it's a bit of a funny situation, this, for players and people as a whole. I'm finding a lot of people have a lot more time for you now. They're kind of doing it on Zoom and sitting in a hotel room. You know, time's less of an issue. Sometimes when you're at these tournaments and put in a room with someone, I've had a few players just sit there with an absolute face on for the 10 minutes <laughs> looking at the moderator like get me out of this bloody room i hate this guy and you're kind of like <laughs> so what, what do you think about this um <laughs> but you know at the minute there's you, you know the wta were like oh you can have 15 minutes with her and the call ends up being about 35 minutes and there's no rush or anything like that that, that side of things quite nice i think just as an aside yeah um but yeah, I think she was pretty happy with how she's dealing with everything in terms of quarantine. She was talking about how much she hated the last lockdown. Um, but her routine, I just found quite amusing. You know, she couldn't sleep before like 4 a.m., eating breakfast at 3 p.m. Um, bearing in mind, I'd spoken to Matt Lissell about a half an hour ago about <laughs> um, keeping active in your hotel room. To hear Heather's routine was... Uh, quite amusing i mean she was saying she was doing between an hour and a half and three hours exercise as well so it's not all bad but um yeah it it, it was it was nice chatting to her she seemed in good spirits oh uh, yeah i was going to ask kind of about general feeling in terms of spirits and you know happiness i mean heather has kind of embraced tiktok over because i follow her on tiktok because you know I'm, are you on tiktok I'm, I very much am on TikTok, George. I, i'm very current do, do you and... tiktok yourself or are you just like a voyeur no, I sometimes make. <laughs> but that's TikToks. what it is, isn't it? <laughs> I sometimes make TikToks for. Do you? People. Yeah, oh, right. but okay, I not for you. No, I don't upload them. I like because basically, I'm really bad at sending birthday cards and doing all that nonsense. So my thing now is I make someone a TikTok for their birthday. Um, you know, like a personalised one, obviously. And that, that's, that's quite good fun. Um, it, it, I have to say, it, I, as a medium, it is great. And it, I waste a lot of time on there. Um, but Heather doesn't. Heather uses it very well and very practically. And I've been catching up on her fitness routines and stuff. And, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, she's no Pablo Cuevas, obviously. But, you know, we can't all aspire to be as crazy <laughs> as Pablo Cuevas. Um, but, yeah, it's it's been quite good to see that she's, you know, uh, you know, it's hard because we try and be unbiased and kind of, you know, neutral. But in the end, we do, we do want to see British players do well and inevitably, you know, kind of support them when, when they're abroad, especially, I think. Um, it's somehow a little bit different. So, yeah, sorry, George. The, there was a few bits, again, I know we were talking about the Matt Little one things being cut out. There were a few bits of this column that were chopped out um, when it was being sent back and forth. Um, again, I, I won't go into masses of details which bit, but, but there was one bit that was kind of semi-left in that I found quite interesting um, about scheduling and wanting to avoid all of this. And it, this was laid out a bit harder. I think the kind of the term she was saying was, I, if, I, if this happened again anywhere else, I would have spent the entire month of a 12-month year locked inside a single room. Yeah. Um, and that that idea of scheduling becoming quite a big thing in her mind to avoid this. Now I'd be quite interested to see, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Olympic games and stuff and whether that will go ahead. It seems quite unlikely now, but 
I think a lot of people are talking about that, the Australian Open being a kind of dry run for that situation there. I'd, I'd be interested to see if tennis players on this experience, if it did go ahead, which seems unlikely, but if it did, you know, whatever, um, would they be put off by this now? Because I, th- I think a lot of them will probably be in a similar boat to Heather where they really aren't very keen to make a habit of this. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Um, because you can't imagine... I know the US Open was quite bubbled, but didn't sound like a very secure bubble. Um, the French Open was pretty chilled out at the time, I seem to remember. Um, obviously, Wimbledon... Didn't but they ahead, wouldn't but... let... Yeah. I was going to say, they, they, they wouldn't let anyone in private accommodation, for example, which the US Open yeah. did. Mm. I, I, well, what I'm saying is, I, I don't see you know, four Grand Slams running like this this year. Like a dozen players would go. If you're not a big clay quarter, you just wouldn't do the French. So that would cut out half the field for the French. You know, if it were, if the French said, we're going to do it exactly like the Aussies did, you know, surely you'd just say, well, leave that. You might sack off Wimbledon because it's grass and, you know, it's a short season and it barely happens anyway and it's maybe not worth it. And you just do, do US and go and do a hard court swing somewhere. I, th- I think the bigger question comes for the smaller events rather than the slams. Um, you know, I, I don't know the exact plans with like the Asian swing at the minute, but I, I, I get the feeling places like China, Japan, yeah. which are obviously, you know, big chunks of the WTA season, particularly, which I know we've spoken about um, before. Yeah. But I, I can't imagine many players will be turning up there for a full two-week quarantine. Again, a little bit different for the WTA season because you could feasibly spend about eight weeks there, yeah. really. But certainly for the men, I, I think stuff like the Shanghai Masters would be in real trouble if they were putting something on yeah. like that. You know, that, that's more the area I think they'll be concerned. No, bad. They'd, have to, they'd have to rejig it again. And, you know, I know you've done work on this before and, it's not very easy, but yeah, they, you'd have to look, look at start doing like six week swings in parts of the world, and and then with all the issues that come with that. I mean, I I think, you know, as much as it pains me to say it, tennis doesn't tennis doesn't keep going if the virus gets worse. It, it, it's getting to this stage where actually, if you look at a lot of countries' restrictions and who's coming in and stuff it's getting harder and harder to travel. And I think I'm, I'm not saying I'm expecting the tour to shut down completely, but I think there is going to be a point where, particularly when you consider a lot of these players can only travel with like one or two other people. If as your suggestion came in, that there was going to be a, a point where they were sticking in the place for a long time, which, you know, isn't on the cards at the minute. I'm not saying for a second that is what's happening, but just for the sake of argument, that's a long time to go without families and, everything else I, i'm mm. just wondering how workable that will become in the second half of the season um but yeah you know it's a very fluid situation and while we've got calendars that go up to june or july i, I definitely wouldn't take anything as red at the moment um mm. based on yeah. all the above yeah and, and and it kind of throws lots of different questions at, at players about different things and one of them kind of come up this week and i was discussing it on twitter earlier and um, Dominic Team's coach Nicholas Masu tested positive for coronavirus before um, they flew out to Australia, so he didn't fly out. And they were hoping to get him out, and he could quarantine for two weeks, and because uh, he has tested negative, but they've basically not been able to make that work. So he's not going out. 
um, which means teams will, team will be without um, Masu. Of course, he I think we can probably give him quite a lot of credit for what's happened in Dominic Team's career. I know Gunter Brezvik will tell us that it's all him, um, but uh, you know Dominic Team isn't knackered all the time now, which I think is a big part of playing tennis. Uh, so I would give him some credit. He's only not knackered now because he was knackered so much before and pushed to the limit. I'm <laughs> sure Gunter would say. Because he was carrying boulders up mountains in January <laughs> with Gunter. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, you know, Rafa Nadal also is going to be missing Carlos Moya. He's, he's chosen not to go out because he didn't want to be away from his family. Um, Calvin, we've talked a lot about what a coach offers and, you know, it's often not a huge amount of technical stuff at that level, but more a talking about the game and, and maybe some tactical planning and, and scouting. If that's the case, then surely they can do it all relatively remotely anyway. Um, it's more the players like the coaches to be around just in terms of, so it's not so formal and right, we're going to have a conversation now about how that match was. Because you never know when things are going to come up. A lot of the stuff comes up over dinner that kind of thing. A coach will remember something, a player will remember something, it will, a conversation will develop because of that. Um, and uh, it might be when you, you know, it might be in practice, that kind of thing. They obviously can't watch their practice now and something might need tweaking or something they want to work on that wasn't so good in a match um, that a coach can bring up on a practice court. It's really, it's not, not specifically what's going on in the match that the coach is there for. It's all the sort of periphery stuff. It's not even mm. the scouting, really. The scouting you can do remotely, that kind of thing. Um, and on top of that, and, and this might be frowned upon because you're not supposed to coach while a match is going on, but everyone does it. Um, and they'd <laughs> rather hear from their actual coaches um, yeah. who are there. That's why they employ them. So, and certain, pl- I mean, certain players cope with it without having a coach better than others. Roger Federer went about three years without a coach um, yeah. at one stage, I think. Whereas An- Andy Murray, for example, is is very big on He wants his people around him um, mm-hmm. to be there. And it, it's sort of part of his unit, I think. I don't know what team's like, but um, it's certainly the pl- the players are big on it. And even like, at the lower level, what players always want is they always talk about they'd, they'd like a coach to travel with them. Yeah, Murray, I was going to say, is is the most interesting example, really, when you look at people and how they interact with their box and stuff. I mean, there's been numerous examples of him, like, shouting for anyone kind of coming into the box who's not meant to be there. And that's almost <laughs> become kind of his routine. I think it was at the US Open, there was a really famous example of that, where he was just booting someone out who wasn't meant to be there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting, the relationship between a player so, as Calvin says, it's kind of different for different players, but it seems to me a lot of players kind of need that conversation back and forth. That they, whether the coach is saying anything or not, they need to be saying it to someone they trust. Like, why is this going wrong? Like now, why is my serve crap or whatever? What you know? And it'd be interesting to see if they can replicate that. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, actually, I don't think Nadal's one of those players particularly, but maybe team a little bit more. It's important for someone like Andy to shout so bad at the same person every time, you know, just just because he's shouting how awful he is. As far as I can tell, every time he's he's shouting at his box, it's just self-abuse. And team actually, now I think about it, at the US Open last year, there were a few, I think it might have been against Medvedev actually, he was having a few problems with like his trainers and stuff and a few other things. And there was definitely quite a bit of conversation aimed at his box when things weren't going to I mean, he went in straight sets anyway but it, as we all know it was a really tight straight setter but um, you know it, 
that was a sort of sign of something that'll be interesting now who's moved away but I, I suppose he'll just have to get up and on with it it's not going to change how good he is at tennis you wouldn't have thought um, yeah and I mean I'll just give you an example of what a coach can do at a tournament that they wouldn't be able to if they're not there and sort of personal example and I'm certainly not trying to blow my own trumpet or anything here but earlier on um, last last year um, I was at a tournament with a player and the player had finished his match um, I think he was getting a shower and I was just sort of watching a bit of tennis with no real aim inside just watching the players who were on the first court and it was a player who we knew and we knew of he was a pretty decent player and so he was doing something in the match that I'd not noticed him before. There was a weakness in, he was very good at attacking off his forehand, but he tended to do a certain thing when he defended on his on his forehand. Um, the week later, the player who I was with actually played that guy. And basically we sort of honed in on that, or he honed in on that sort of weakness that I'd spotted. And he ended up winning the match pretty comfortably. And mm. that that sort of thing is why players like a coach there. That wouldn't have happened without a coach being on on site. That type of thing. Um, just just to tie in another minor point that I, I forgot to put on the schedule, but just reminded me when we were talking about the impact of a coach and someone who doesn't have one, uh, being Nick Kyrgios. There was, I think, Stu Fraser wrote a little piece in the Times today about some of the Australian players and the advantage they've got not having to quarantine at all and whatever do you do you, do you see do you see so uh, ash barty's calvin loves talking about Nick his favorite I, I, ash, ash barty's probably the more relevant player in terms of having an opportunity but about how do you times more relevant how, how do you weigh the trade-off between not playing competitive tennis for 11 months to having completely undisrupted australian open preparation uh, well, Nick Kyrgios is a part-time tennis player, so it probably doesn't make much difference for him. Um, he's probably very much enjoyed not playing tennis. His basketball um, excellent at the moment. Yeah, and I, I struggle to take him seriously. Look, he's a, he's a he's a phenomenal talent. He's a very, very, very talented player, and he's got a great serve. He's got one of the top fifteen serves of all time in my book. Um, but at the same time, like I've said many times, he, he's I think it's five years since he's been in the second week of a slam. So uh, I, I don't get why he gets so much coverage. Um, and he's, I don't want to... I don't want to sort of term this in the wrong way, but he seems to have been very comfortable not playing tennis for this period as, as well. And, and sort of been quite happy sort of moralising on why everyone else shouldn't be playing. And it all seems a bit convenient. Um yeah. So, so I, I don't think we've really answered the question there because I, I did, no, I I did frame it as Ash Barty. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just part of what you said there, George. I mean, you could have said what you said. <laughs> as soon as I mentioned his name. Same answer. <laughs> so, so, so for Ash Barty then, forgetting Nick, 11 months off tennis. I mean, I mean, Barty's a superb sports player and we know yeah. she could take years off tennis to come back. Yeah. But do you, would you rather be 11 months off tennis but no disruption for the Australian Open or be playing last year on and off and having this sort of quarantine issue coming into it? Oh, the latter. I mean, it's... In general, the, the latter, just through just for match tightness, that kind of thing. You can't replicate having match tightness um, and having not played one for 11 months 
it, it's I think it might be an issue, although it's it's tough to tell in the women's game. And Barty is a bit of a an outlier in that sense, in that she's had what did she have a year off before? Um, and, yeah, she was a professional trying to play cricket. Yeah, and then how long was it when she came back? How long was it before she won the Slam? Was it say the next year or was she back a full year? No, it was it, it wasn't quite that soon. I, I'd say it was probably about three years or something. Right, okay, two years enough. off, three years yeah. on. But yeah, so. It's it's a, it's it's an interesting one because as well on top of this we don't know how much they've played within that period. I, I curious, it wouldn't surprise me if he hasn't picked a racket up in yeah. in in twelve months. But I've he, seen it on his Instagram occasionally. To be fair, and as well, and I, I don't know, I don't I don't know genuinely don't know if any of the players have been doing this, but Australia also has a very good money tournament circuit as well where. A lot of the top players will compete in that. I don't know whether any of them have a sort of domestic scene. I don't even know whether they've been running. Although I'm, mm. I, I did hear that they were going to be running. So in terms of that, I, I don't know if Barty might have played in a couple of those um, as well, that kind of thing. Mm. I think, you know, it, it feels like a stereotype. I mean, I think of Ash Barty as the AP de Villiers of the you know, women's tennis yeah. world. because She clearly does just have a phenomenal eye for a ball and it doesn't really matter what shape or size the bat is, she can whack it. Um, and I think that that must play into her hands. Um, George, what do you think? I, I, was, I was just going to say, did someone not pick her to win this tournament? Or have I misremembered that? I can't remember any of our predictions. I mean, I probably did. I think I had Halep. That sounds like something I would say. Ash Barty. I think you might have Ash Barty. So I thought you might defend the... 11 month <laughs> absent yeah I, well, like, like I said I think I think for someone like her yeah why not she also seems you know this has been the worst year of a lot of people's lives in a in a number of different ways Ash Barty's had a great time she honestly I saw her she was at the um last month she was at the finals of the footy of the AFL you know just like having a beer sitting with her mates you know they got her on camera and she was a bit shy and they were like look at Ash Barty the world number one she was like, oh, piss off. Like, you know, she, she, she is going to be the most, apart from maybe Heather Watson, she's going to be the most relaxed player in the tournament <laughs> on day one. And, and, and you know, she's kind of got nothing to lose in a certain extent. I think also you have to remember that it's very easy to be relaxed when you went to China and won four matches and became the best paid female tennis player of all time. Um, you know, she won the WTA finals just, be- you know, just before COVID hit properly. That makes life a lot easier when you just bagged five million dollars or however much it was. Um, so yeah, I, I think headspace—it's a massive psychological game—and she's incredibly relaxed. So yeah, you're right, George. Thanks for reminding me about the position I had to to adopt <laughs> because uh, I'm very pleased with my previous prediction. <laughs> it's ideal. <laughs> Should we talk about a little bit more tennis? I know we're running out of time, but. Uh, I do want to talk about some actual tennis because there is, you know, we've just got, as I mentioned earlier, um, the ATP Cup schedule is out. They've moved um, quite a lot of the tennis back a day, basically, um, to try and give those players coming out of quarantine a little bit more of a of a hit before going into competitive tennis. It means that the ATP Cup now starts on Tuesday, the 2nd of February, I think I'm right in saying. Um, and it runs the final is on Saturday, the 6th of February. So three days of group stage matches. And then uh, semi-finals and final. Um, you can see all of them um, on all. Basically, because the fixtures are set, 
We know who will be playing when on the first three days. Djokovic opens up against Shapovalov, I think. Um, and then I think Nadal against Dominor is the uh, the kind of evening big match. Although, actually, I quite like Medvedev versus Schwartzman. That looked like a decent tie to me. Um, there's an absolute group of death in the ATP Cup, by the way. I mean, by quite a comfortable distance, Serbia, Germany and Canada. You know, this is a Canada team that um, Felix Algaraliassim can't get into uh, in with Germany and Serbia. It looks like a nightmare, George, doesn't it? Yeah, it'll be tough. I, Germany were pretty poor though at last year's ATP Cup, quite surprisingly, because they, they, I, I haven't seen their team exactly this year, but they, they've got Kravitz and Mies as well in the doubles, who have been certainly close to world number one, if not world number one before. So it's Zverev they, they, and Jan Leonard Struff, uh, the two singles players. Doubles? Do they not have a doubles team? Oh, sorry, yeah, Kravitz and Mies. You're right. Kravitz and Mies. Yeah. It's either for um, it's the only thing I know about German pronunciation. No, it's Mies if it's I before in German. Mice would be M I A Z. Okay, right. E I. He's not German though. Is E I E is I did German. It's I E is E. I was right. right. I'll tell you. I did one semester of German at university. I wasn't very good. The only reason I did okay in German university because I took it as an optional module, and I was the only first language English speaker in the room. So everyone else was having to translate from German into English into their oh, native man. language. And so I was like, this English thing, it's easy, uh, which <laughs> made it a lot easier. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got sidetracked. Oh, you think Germany would be rubbish? OK, so it's not the group. I, I, I don't think they'll be rubbish. I'm just going off the evidence of last year. I, I think Serbia will win the group. Um, yeah. And you think, do you think Spain will win? Spain are in with Greece and Australia. Yeah, Greece will, Greece will struggle in the doubles. So Spain, uh, Spain will win that. You haven't got a lot of faith in Petros. <laughs> you need a bit more faith in Petros. I have, I have zero faith in Petros. Uh, Pe- uh, for, for regular listeners will know that Petros Tsitsipas is our favourite Greek tennis player. Um, <laughs> we spend an awful lot of time talking about him, don't I think, we? I, I mean, think like, we should. It's ludicrous. <laughs> it, it is worth pointing out, though, that in terms of strength and depth, Greece do struggle. Their second singles player is Mikhail Petros. Pedro Larakis, um, who is the world. Your Greek's better than your German. Pedro Larakis actually. Um, Pedro Larakis played doubles with Luke, who was on the podcast the other week when we were out okay. in Greece, um, and they were a pretty good pair. They got this. He's he's a very good. He's got a very good serve. He str- he was actually a very good singles player as well. He struggles with his back. Um, and I think that's sort of really hampered his his career. He he was sort of climbing pretty pretty well um, and even in that tournament they were doing pretty well him and Luke and then Michael actually had to pull out with a back injury so well um, he's got to be either Roberto Batista Agut or John Millman which might be it might be a bridge too far but, it, it uh, might be yeah um, and I was told by him actually that um, basically he's had to pay for his own flights the Greek Federation don't pay for anything out there so he was paying for his own flights and he told me uh, it cost him three and a half grand for that flight that's crazy yeah. uh, to yeah. be fair there is a reasonable amount of cash on offer in the ATP Cup but yeah, yeah he'll, he'll make it a bag yeah. <laughs> um, the group C incidentally is uh, Austria Italy and France that's quite tasty really uh, all European group There's some decent ties in there Dominic T I mean the it- Italian team obviously is 
players, many of whom haven't won matches in years, because Matteo Berrettini is still their highest-ranked player. Um, so, so it actually means that like Fabio Fanini might get some not easy matches, but you know he's going to run into Austria's second-ranked singles player, who's Denis Novak. I think you'd expect to win that nine times out of ten. Um, if not more, uh, and Benoit Paire, who's France's uh, second-ranked singles player. Would you like to know something interesting about Guillaume Monfils this week? He's hired, yes. Gun- he's hired Gunther as his coach. Which oh, I have to say, yeah, I have to say, not a pair I would have picked to go together automatically. <laughs> Well, I, I can actually offer something on that. Um, I was told a while back that, that Gilmore Fees is generally considered to be the best athlete that's ever played tennis. Right. Um, and I was told by a very, very good physio and sports scientist that the reason that he struggles is he has phenomenal fast twitch muscles, which yeah. is why he's so good. But because of that, he has basically no slow twitch muscles, which lead to endurance which means ah. that he struggles across the length of tournaments, um, the, the longest form of endurance. So he struggles at the back end of tournaments, specifically at the back end of slams. So being that, and, and it's not something that he can improve because his greatest strength is also his greatest weakness. He has yeah. his full of fast twitch muscles. So I'm going to be interested to see Gunter Bresnik throwing him at mountains for pretty much <laughs> no, no benefit whatsoever. His, um, his teammate has one of my favourite uh, facts in tennis, uh, at least to my knowledge, he's the, he's the only man to have his beard sponsored. No, who's it sponsored? Benoit like? Pair has an official beard sponsor. I, I can't actually remember, but it, it's not oh, hard it's to find. Clearly well branded, isn't it? Yeah, okay. it, uh, it probably is in France. That's quite a um, spike, I think. All right. We should just cover group Group D because um, we've done the other three. Uh, group D is uh, Axis Powers, Russia, Argentina, and Japan. Um, so you've got some quite interesting matchups. I think Japan are going to struggle realistically. Kei Nishikori has got a, a protected ranking, so he's their top top ranked player. Then it's Yoshi, Yoshihito Nishioka, and then their doubles pairing is Ben McLachlan. Um, I'm not sure which part of Japan he's from, um, and Toshihira Matsui. Um, I know that's very harsh on Ben McLachlan because I, I know he's born in New Zealand, but he does live in Japan. Um, do you know who the Japan team captain is? Doubles legend Max Mirny, of all people. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. He's not Japanese last time I checked. (laughs) Uh, No, I think he's Belarusian. Um, But uh, Belarus, of course, he famously didn't have coronavirus because they just didn't, the dictator, Lusashenko, just didn't accept that it existed. Um, Russia will presumably come out of that group. I mean, I would suspect that Russia have got the strongest singles pairing, haven't they? Medvedev. Yeah, I, I always, I always, is it? Of course, Medvedev or stuff. I don't know. It always seems to be Russia. Always seems to be Hatchinov and Rublev. But um, yeah, um, they're, they're very strong. I fancy that they'll win one of these things um, in the next few years, either the ATP Cup or the Davis Cup. Um, yeah. They're very strong. They have a they have a recognised doubles player. I think Rublev and Hatchinov play a lot of doubles together as well, don't they? Um, mm. If they can get a good run of home matches in the day, oh, mind you, what am I talking about? Sort of, that's that. Those days are gone, aren't they, with the Davis Cup? So. Well, presumably Russia will bid for one of the Davis Cup things and win mysteriously. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> probably so. Yeah. Well, they 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 were semi finalists, weren't they, last year in the ATP Cup, and yeah. only went out to Medvedev Djokovic match that was 
probably one of the matches of the year, actually. Mm. Um, yeah. In terms of quality. Were the semi-finalists in the Davis Cup as well? Was it I think it might have been quarters against Spain. I can't remember off the top of my head, actually. Maybe it was rough semi-finals. Well, so that was brilliant as well. That was brilliant yeah. as well, but it lost to Spain in that. Um, yeah, we yeah. lost in well, the semi-finals. That was, that was quarters because so. GB was semis. Yeah. Wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Reasonably yeah. sure. Um, yeah, so, the, I mean, there's some there's some cracking ties. It's just nice. I mean, I said it to you guys earlier, and I know we've not... We'll go into it more in more depth next week because we'll be right on the, the verge of it, but... It's just exciting to have some actual tennis to be thinking yeah. about and actually thinking about, you know, how team matches up against whoever. And um, there's also lots of interesting team captains. Uh, I think there are at least three team captains who are fathers of members of the team um, because Misha's, Misha's very, of course, is Sasha's very brother, although he's about 15 years older. Um, Apostolos Tsitsipas <laughs> is running the Greek team. So there's three Tsitsipas <laughs> in, uh, in the Greek team. And... I don't know whether this was planned or or not, but Wolfgang Team is running Team 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 Austria, um, so that's that's very exciting if you ask me. It's coming against about. last year. I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but that that oh, was do. one of the one of the matches of the year purely for entertainment value off court. When he was that when his, his mother... mother gave him a bollocking for shouting at his father. Yes, I mean was, he hit his father. He hit his father. It, he whacked like, the racket and came up and cut his dad's face. It was unbelievable. I have, be, I, have honest, I have to be honest, George. My my godparents are Greek. My parents used to live in Greece. And all of my sisters' godparents are Greek. So I have extended family in Greece. And to be honest, that just looked like a normal day in a Greek family. If I'm being completely honest, <laughs> very expressive people, and the mothers in particular are very expressive. The, and then you had beyond that, didn't you? That um, his mum came into the press conference and asked him a question, like straight yeah. after. Like it was all just like really, really weird. Um, but that's probably quite normal in the world of tennis. Yeah. Well, there's any other. Well, I've been in one press conference where a parent asked a question. Um, I won't say whose parents it was. It was other than it was a British doubles pairing of Jay Clark and. Um, uh, Wilbon, Marcus Willis. Oh, Marcus Willis, right. Yeah. and Not Marcus Willis's then. Drink had been taken. (laughs) Um, Anyway, there's no GB, of course. Um, Didn't qualify on the basis of uh, not having a top 15 player. And Australia got the wild card, outrageously. Um, But I think they'll be going out. So, yes, the uh, tournament kicks off Tuesday the 2nd. Semi-finals will be on the Friday. And then the final on the Saturday. Um, if you're in the UK, uh, the day sessions are going to kick off about 11pm UK time um, and then go through the night. So you probably miss most of that. And then the night sessions start at 6.30am UK time. But the way they're doing it, the number two singles match is up first and the number one is not before 8am UK time. So should be able to get a decent amount of tennis on TV. And it's a one hour zone, of course. Um, just there's a, a free plug, I feel like I should. <laughs> and of course, we there's one actual bit of semi tennis this week, isn't there? With that Adelaide exhibition that has yeah, caused I mean, I such a fuss. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's decent tennis. I mean, they've got such little opportunity that I you would think they'll take it quite seriously for an exo. Maybe I don't know. 
fingers crossed. I'm, I'm not really sure, sure what the format is. I imagine they'll all be on doing like championship tiebreakers, won't they? I guess. I don't know, yeah. What, what I quite like is it's, you know, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Dominic Team, Serena Williams, and then Yannick Sinner, who, I mean, like, okay, we think he's good, but he's world number 36. Like, he's absolutely making up the numbers, and I don't really <laughs> know why. He must have a dynamite agent. Well, it, I was, it was a big... Um... I, I, I'm not 100% sure this is exactly the case, but my understanding was Nadal asked him to practice with him. Oh, really? For the two weeks. So that is probably why he's been chucked in this exhibition, because Nadal was taken to Adelaide. But I, I'm, my understanding was that Nadal had wanted him to join him for practice. So pretty big, big praise for him. That is high yeah. praise indeed. Well, I think we'll have to leave it there because we've run over... Well, I mean, we can go for as long as we want. The internet's huge. But uh, we, we try and stick to an hour, so we've got to move on. Um, if you're listening back on the podcast, remember you can always listen live, 9 o'clock every Monday night. You just have to download the Locker Room app and find me, George or Calvin, on there and give us a follow. Um, that also means you can ask questions live. You can jump in the discussion channel and um, give us a shout-out or, or a question or, or some abuse, which is the most common form of it. Um, and uh, if you're listening on Locker Room, please do come and find a podcast somewhere in case you miss us one day. And if you're listening on the podcast, leave us a review. Leave us a review um, and uh, a star rating that's less than six and higher than five. Uh, otherwise, we'll be back here next week um, and with some actual tennis to talk about. Cheers, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.